new beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram. As always, that's my name. And <laughs> alongside Dr. Joshua Black. How's it going, Joshua? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Sean. Happy New Year to everyone out there. I know it's a couple weeks past, but you know, I'm I'm loving 2020. I know there's a lot of stuff going on, but I'm feeling really good. I'm happy that we get to do this update episode and to recap everything that happened this last year. And I got to say, Sean, looking over those the different podcasts as such a uh, a beautiful reminder of the wonderful guests we've had on and the amazing dreams people have shared. Yeah, it's a great it's a great thing to reflect and look back on the work that we did last year and the opportunities and the guests that we've had on you know just looking at the list right now it's just just amazing it's like 40 to 50 episodes um that we did last year each approximately an hour actually it's 43 total oh 41 interviews wow it's incredible you know you think like they're approximately an hour and just having these conversations with a variety of guests and really variety is the best way to say it because you know it's just people from all walks of life you know all areas of the world uh which is pretty cool that we get to do this uh interview this podcast you know from the comforts of our home and interview people from all across the world the countries and different various locations north america asia um all over we haven't had a guest from africa yet we should have a try to book someone from Africa. That's the 2020 goals. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, so many to go through. And like, obviously, like, I don't know if I want to ask you if any of them stand out because it's a hard question to, if you ask me that. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough question because there's just so many different, really different kinds of individuals that have come on with different kinds of careers. But one of my all-time favorite was the one I did with Mirabai Bush with Jade and that was really special to me because we were able to talk about Ramdas who has recently died and for me it was a as I grieved his loss it was a comfort for me to have spoke about him on air and to have done that with Jade who also is a really big fan of Ramdas too and we sort of together learned a lot about our our own journeys through what he has went through in his life. So for us, I know, I know for Jade, that'd be one of her big ones too. Uh, what about for you, Sean? <laughs> yeah. Like I said, uh, tough to talk about favorites. Uh, man, let's see if there's something. I'm definitely bit the Biff naked interview. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we were yeah, both excited good. because we had, you know, we knew her prior, obviously growing up in Canada. She was a very, she is a very well-known, famous rock musician. And we also ended up actually going to one of her shows. She put on a one-person, well, along with her husband, performance, really quiet acoustic performance in a small auditorium. And that was really cool and a really great environment. And uh, she put on a great performance. And we also got to uh, talk with her after um, she took the time to kind of uh, speak with us and take photos, and she's just very genuine, uh, down-to-earth person, so I really enjoyed that. And I think, you know, what was interesting about actually meeting her in person is that she remembered us. Yeah. She really did, and she remembered who we were, and I thought that was phenomenal for her to take the time to meet with everyone, and it's like, who I thought she was 
when we talked to her like over over this was when I met her it was even more you know she gave the time to talk to everyone she was so funny she I don't know it was just a a very creative way she performed and I loved every minute of it so if you ever have a chance to see her uh, in concert when she does her was it what was it called I forget what was it but it was a, she talked about her book and she always was an acoustic yeah it was kind of yeah. like a mix of music singing it would also uh taking the time to talk talk to the audience really conversational through her uh, about chapters in her book and tell stories yeah i don't know one person show one woman show i don't know <laughs> yeah, we should have looked up before we uh started talking about this stuff but yeah like at the end of the day there's just so many good ones and this is what this episode's all about is for those people who maybe have listened to maybe episodes here and there or are new to the podcast this is for you to be able to see some of the ones prior. So you, if you like what you hear, go back and listen to the whole episode because these are just clips to give you a feeler of who the individual was and maybe what they dreamt about. But we had a lot. So we have two parts of this thing coming. Yeah, and we love doing this, right? We enjoy it. It's it time to get together. Like, like it's hard to get together. But, uh, you know, just uh, go through it. It's it's one of our favorite parts to, uh, of our year to do this recap. Before we start, I think, too, we should mention, if you haven't had a chance, we also started another podcast this last year, 2019, and it's called Grief Cafe. And so it's... Me, Dr. Joshua Black, Sean Ram, and Darwin Dave, our buddy who runs a Dealing With My Grief podcast. And it's like a roundtable discussion about different grief events that are going on in the world. And we get a chance to air out our concerns, talk about it in a group setting. And, you know, what's interesting about that is that I feel good being able to talk about things in the news or in the media that usually I just keep in. Like, I'll think about it, but talking about it does something differently. And so those episodes around like 20, 30 minutes, and they usually come out about once a month. So if you love this podcast, you'll probably love that too. So the first um, recap episode that we're going to go through is from episode 103, and it is featuring Aditi Loveridge. And she uh, went through uh, pregnancy loss and so she had a dream actually of her grandfather with uh one of the childs that she lost um a very touching beautiful and powerful scene check it out on your journey have you ever had a dream of any of the children that you lost yes so i had a dream um after i lost the second uh pregnancy i had a dream of my grandfather um who was who was passed and i had a dream and he was holding this baby boy and and he was saying like i like we're together and i have i have your child and i'm i'm looking out oh wow yeah so and and after and after that dream and my experience with the second pregnancy loss um it it kind of gave me the courage to kind of to be able to then go forward and try again. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's wild. That is absolutely wild. And you had this, did you have this before you knew about the miscarriage or is it after? It was after. It was after. like a couple of days after I had uh, had that loss. Yeah. 
Wow. And so like what is, so you said it gave you the courage to pursue the next one? Could you like talk about mm -hmm, a little bit further? Yeah. I think that is really interesting. <laughs> yeah, because well, my second loss to um I had miscarried naturally at home with that one and that whole experience I've written it uh, written about it a few times and spoken about it it was quite an empowering experience and that might sound strange but it gave me the trust that I had lost in my body it gave that somewhat back to me because I was able even though it wasn't a living baby my body still very much knew how to let go and so it was very it was an interesting experience very um a very uh, spiritual kind of experience for me and so that experience and then I had that dream a couple of days later where my grandfather was saying I have this baby and I'm looking out for you and and I'm taking care of this baby it both like, the whole thing all around just gave me the courage and made me feel like I was supported by something greater than what I could see oh wow that's actually actually amazing it's so Wow, you feel you felt supported in your loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 it was a very very um, complex, but very very deep. It was a, a very deep emotional experience for me because I I did I felt supported. Yeah, in loss and empowered in this crazy way. I felt very empowered, even though I had just given birth to a baby that was not living and. All of that but I felt very empowered and that is what gave me the strength to to say okay I, I think I can do this one more time wow wow <laughs> yeah that's that's incredible you just you know just to just to unpack that you, you look at what what's going on in your life at the time you know the tremendous loss the the emotions the feelings and you know like any other loss like you know especially this one which is even more unique and probably you feel even more isolated compared to like a, a different type of loss and here comes this you know experience tied with a dream that you've had and that's giving you the strength to kind of push forward and it's that that's that's mind-blowing wow what an amazing dream to have after pregnancy loss and it just shows that people are dreaming of their babies they've never met and I know I did research on that, and I'm really happy that people are coming on to talk about that because it can be disenfranchised. So, you know, amazing, amazing to hear that. Amazing she tried again, and she was able to have another child. Yeah, and also being able to tell your story, right? Like, uh, it's not something people are, because it's stigmatized, or feel comfortable talking about children that they've lost mm -hmm. um, before birth and so this is a tough thing so kudos to all those women who do talk about it and all those and Aditi for coming on the the program and sharing our next one is biff naked or as i like to call her dr beth allen so uh here we go she's going to be talking about the way she looks at death and dying and why i love this quote so much is she does re reference ram das and his quote that death is like taking off a tight shoe yeah, it's interesting. It had me uh, thinking about what you said, you know, in terms of like the human kind of uh, the, the nuances of being a human is having those fear exist anxieties. And I think sometimes like for myself, uh, I have a dog as well. He's, he's three years old and uh, ah. I have yeah, <laughs> he's a little pup. Uh, I sometimes will in the past, I 
I had a lot of anticipatory fear of his death. Like, you know, you know, they live shorter lives than you. So, you know, I was just like, I love him so much, you know, and, and when, when he dies, like, oh, my God, how am I going to feel? And then you start to fear that feeling. And I, I, I started just actually thinking about his death and just getting comfortable with all that. And, and it, it did a weird thing where it actually just started making me calm down and relax more. And, and I, you know, obviously, I just tell myself, you know, don't it's OK, you know, as a dog parent. You have these fears, you have these stresses. Oh, what if he gets hit by a car? What if this happens? What if that happens? But I, I, it's hard. That's a tough way to live. And it, it would probably be even tougher if I didn't acknowledge that. And then he passed away and I could see that being a tough experience. But I think I'm, I'm doing myself a service by just having that in my head as well. That, hey, there's life, there's beauty in that, and there's death. And, and not there's no... Again, not to put a black and white on it, not to put a negative or positive spin on it, but it is what it is, you know. And again, just, you know, the mystery of life, sometimes just chilling and, and sitting in that, that's important, but acknowledge all of it and, and also how it affects us. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, what you're describing is future surfing. And we all do it. We all future surf. Uh, the what ifing, I call it. Mm. In good ways and bad ways, and it holds people back. You know, it's. Uh, I think when I was in uh, university, I think it was called fear of success. Um, but what it really is is future surfing, and people don't do things because just in case the worst happens. Mm. And um, I also learned a lot about the anticipatory anxiety when I had my dogs. I mean, you know, I I never had human children so you know these little dogs that i had i mean i i tell jokes on stage that i breastfed them i mean obviously i couldn't mm. breastfeed my beast on <laughs> but i felt like i did i carried them like babies and they slept with me and you know i i took care of them when they were sick and you know all these all these things uh that come with that kind of nurturing instinct that we have and, and, you know, when we love someone so much it hurts, we get tears in our eyes just thinking how much we love them. And I mean, that goes even now with my, with my mom who lives in Winnipeg or my sister or even my husband. And, you know, I do, because it's natural, I think that we all do come to the, those uh, daydreams, those fantasies where what if something happens, what if they don't come back? You know, if I'm going to the store, what if a car hits them in this terrible snow? It's, it's, I think it's normal for our brains to go to that place so that we can also resolve it and, and develop that kind of instinctive coping technique, which is an emotional technique. It's self-protective to be able to envision the worst and to envision the solution or what you will do or who we're going to call. I mean, we can even fantasize to go through those steps. And uh, again, I'm not a psychologist uh, or a proctologist, as, as we've established. <laughs> but uh, I'm not a psychologist, but I will bet that it is absolutely human nature to do that type of future surfing, envisioning the worst and envisioning the resolution so that we can have that coping skill it's self-protective and uh hopefully hopefully your pup 
lives to the most ripe old age possible. Um, and again, no matter how logical we are, and that goes with, you know, our aging parents or whether or not our parents have a terminal disease or whatever, we can logically, clinically look at it, assess it, make peace with it, understand it, say, well, this is what is expected, and well, they were 85, or well, it doesn't matter because grief will still choke us. It will still uh, absolutely blindside us. It still shocks us. It still uh, keeps us in bed, unable to move. It paralyzes us. Uh, and it's still something that we ha- always have to work on. With Ram Dass, there was a quote that I always really very moved by, which is, death is like taking off a tight shoe. And I always felt, yeah, you know what? I think that probably hits the nail on the head really uh, when you consider it and I've always kind of viewed it that way you know ever since I read that and I was probably in my early 20s and so I don't feel a deep sense of loss or longing when it comes to the the people in my life that I love uh, that have passed away you know I always think that it is the time that they were meant to go And, you know, as sad as I am, I know that death, for me, in my, I guess, beliefs in my life, it's a transcendence uh, more than anything else. And I I just always have have felt almost neutral about it, uh, even if I was grieving or or sad or mourning. I don't carry it as a loss. I carry it as a smile, you know, to always remember and love that person. Well, it's amazing hearing a part of that episode. If you guys get a chance, really go back, listen to that whole thing, because it was a really amazing episode that we're able to to have uh, with Biff Naked. So our next guest is Jay Perry, episode 106. And Jay Perry is a photographer, but he also wrote a book called My Dad Got Sick. And in this episode, or in this clip, he talks about all things dreams, about his dreams and also his mom's dreams and the questions they've had together. So I would tell my mom about these dreams and she would feel um, kind of left out because she wasn't dreaming about him. And she was always wondering, you know, what, what does that mean? Do I not miss him? Why isn't he coming to my dreams? And although the, the majority of them are, are positive and he comes to me in a, a healthy mindset, I did have one, I think it was like a week ago um, where he came to me in the dream and it was known that he was sick and that we were slowly, he was slowly dying in the dream. And I woke up feeling kind of like a bit depressed and sad that that those memories kind of came came back to me, and I, I have to you know realize and tell myself that that's that's going to happen. I think from time to time, and I don't know again what that means, but yeah, I, the positive ones are amazing. You know, yeah. like I said I could try to go back to sleep again and just be able to tell him what's happening in life because I miss that. I miss telling him about the positive things that are going on, the accomplishments, the cool photo shoots I'm doing, how Friends with Hearts is doing, because he was always, always interested. And he always would give you the time of day to listen and, you know, give his, give his feedback. It was so tough for me because my dad died and then my grandfather died 35 days later. And those were the only two, let's say, men in my life that I would go to for advice 
So within 35 days, I had nobody to turn to for stuff. So I had to do, you know, a lot of, I guess, growing up at, in my young 30s, I was 32 when, when my dad got sick. And it, and it was tough. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that, like, I was very, very close with my grandfather as well. Like, we were very close. But I, I can't recall a dream with him, which I, I'm only bringing this to light now because of the conversation we're having that I don't think I've dreamed about him. And I wonder if it's because, to me, he, he passed away. He lived a great life. You know, he, he was almost 90 years old. And maybe it's me feeling sorry for my dad dying at such a young age that I'm, I'm trying to still relive or keep him alive, which may be unhealthy. I don't know. But yeah, I, I wonder why I don't dream about my grandfather, but I definitely do about my dad. Yeah, that's one of those interesting questions that, like I even posed in the research, it's like, why are some people dreaming of the deceased and others aren't? So even for your mom, uh, you brought that up. And the biggest thing is to look at her dream recall. And so if she doesn't recall a lot of dreams, it's probably the why she's not remembering that kind of dream right right she's probably dreaming of it but just not remembering it when she wakes up and then for you it's like you're right like why it's it's interesting to look at so why not one person like i'm dreaming of one person not the other and i think you're right is the sense that there that loss of your father was a more significant part and there's some issues or some things that you're still working out yeah. and that's the beauty of the dream is like it's helping you process some of the stuff and as you said, like he died at a younger age. So there's there's feelings and emotions there and a connection because he also took care of him. So there's a friendship, a deep friendship that was also, that grew in that time. Yeah, and, no, I, I hear you. And there's part of me that like wants to continue dreaming about him as maybe unhealthy as that is, if they're positive dreams. I think but, that it's just, I, I, I enjoy them. And, yeah. and I guess, you, like you said, it's, it's definitely helping me grieve and it's been, and a half years since he passed and it's i think it's maybe that little part that keeps him in my life and whether some people say it's bad or not i don't know i do enjoy the fact that he still i believe he comes to me you know i i don't know like again thinking about this whole spiritual world and stuff like that is is a whole different podcast but and i don't know how much i believe in it maybe i do i just believe that some people's presence never actually leave their their physical body is gone but their their i don't know unconsciousness or however you want to say it is always present in your life especially if you're looking for it i guess that makes any sense yeah no it does and so everyone has it probably take a little longer actually like dig deeper and all that but at the end of the day it's, it's nice that you have that and i said the dreams facilitate that in many people and yeah, you're not crazy and it's not a negative thing. And so that's why I want to do the research because people just don't know, right? They look on the internet, they just can't find answers. So it's, it's nice to be able to let you know that, you know, the research is showing that it's not a negative thing at all. And so if it continues to offer comfort to you, um, that's a beautiful thing. And to just embrace that because at the end of the day, you really can't control it as much as, you know, like... Like it's one thing if like every night before bed, like you're pressing a button and you're getting this sort of dream, you know, <laughs> yeah. like you may become dependent on this dream, yeah, but like yeah. at the end of the day, dreams aren't that easily, you know, unless you're lucid, it could be a little bit easier, but even that's a feat. So for the most time, they're just random occurrences that you get to embrace. And I think there's a beauty in that because yeah, you can't control them. And I appreciate, you know, what you guys are doing with these podcasts to, I guess, tell people that they aren't alone and they're not crazy 
And that's what I hope to do with the book too, is to tell people like, you know, you're not alone in doing this. And if you don't know what you're doing, that's fine. That's normal because let's try and figure it out together. There's multiple sources out there. I mean, we're working with some people right now who are doing some caregiving research. They're finding out that nobody knows what to do or even where to start. But once they are filled kind of with this education, it's like, okay, let's take care of business now. And that's unfortunate. And is it because people aren't sharing their stories? Maybe that's a part of it, but I think people like yourselves who are getting these stories from people and sharing them with the world, I think is going to help a lot of people going forward with their grieving process. So again, from the bottom of my heart, you know, thank you guys for what you're doing. Well, thanks for that. Really appreciate that. And really, it's like if we just wanted a space where if people were searching, they could find something. And the same thing you're you're doing too is is if people are willing, like the answers are out there now on the internet, which is really a, a beautiful tool when you're searching for something. And so, you know, thank you so much for saying those kind words and just being you and being yourself and finding a way through life that is encouraging others to have hope in the journey and their own suffering and their own struggles that may not always be like this. Like there's these moments of gratitude and moments of love that are that spurred up in different points of your life and to stay stay true to the course exactly man i I agree with all that yeah it's great talking to jay jay thank you for coming on and sharing your dream experiences uh so the next guest we have from episode 108 uh kevin tulis and it was great talking to him he's a very knowledgeable guy and he specifically gave us a lot of insight into the irish wake uh please enjoy so interesting and i'm really curious about keening because you've mentioned it a couple times what exactly is that well keening it's really interesting that the aztecs who were separated for over twenty-five thousand years from the the cultures of the old world i mean when you think about it the the sort of bridge into north america was twelve thousand years ago so that journey yeah, so the, who the Aztecs were, you know, their common origin, they were separated from the old world cultures for 20, at least 25,000 years. Yet they practiced a form of keening of, of women, um, which is grieving and crying and uh, um, lamenting out loud on the death of a sort of individual within the community. As exactly the same way that the ancient Egyptians did as well so that you can see in funereal tombs in in upper egypt in the actual inside of the tombs that you can see uh what in the irish they're called the emerald kinsha keening women and you you used to hire these women in sometimes the mourners professional mourners to keen and grieve over the dead so, so when the Franciscan uh, scholars came and saw the Aztec culture, they saw exactly the same thing, that, that Aztec women, some of them were professionally paid to, to mourn and, and keen at the, the death, uh, at the graveside. One of the aspects of this is it's, a, it's a, a form of heightening the emotion at the graveside. It is not about repressing. It's the very opposite of you know, the stiff upper lip and don't show emotion. It's designed to actually bring out a catharsis of emotion, to heighten the, the grieving. 
sometimes it's, it's related to status. This may sound sort of cynical, but it's the, the, the more wealthy you were, the, probably the more uh, professional mourners, the more keening women you hired. If, of course, you were very important in the community, you probably didn't need to, to hire them, that they came out anyway. And it was a, a way of, um, it's interesting, it's a way of actually bringing a psychic, and literally I talk about it, it's a psychic unity. So that when I grieve, if I grieve now in the Western Death Machine, I cry and I sort of grieve alone. But even in my own father's wake, the, the women in the household, they cried together. That they, they found reinforcement and in a sense a communal solidarity in being able to cry out loud together to show their grief and emotion for my father. But also, in a sense, it's a way of, of uh, leeching and bleeding out that emotion. It, it's a way of forcing the grieving process faster. Because you're, 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 in a sense, you're letting it all hang out. That's, uh, it's very interesting. It's interesting that there are women that, that start this. Because they're, I tend to find, they tend to be more in tune with their emotions. And so I think that's great for a culture. Um, to really said bring out those emotions that are there, but sometimes, especially with men, like we tend to push those down a bit. Um, but when yeah, you yeah, but start, that's that's see, it's uh, re sorry to interrupt. It's really interesting because in the Iliad, which was is the great uh, Greek war poem about the fall of Troy, written by Homer in 850 BCE. Some of the most powerful keening actually takes place amongst the men. And um, it takes place principally with the, 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 the greatest Greek warrior at all of all, which is Achilles. So when Achilles' lover, Patroclus, is, is killed in battle, the first thing that when news comes back to the Greek camp where Achilles is, is he... Uh, begins to, he tears out his hair and he cries and he keens and he rubs dirt in his face. And later on, when they actually gather, they, they retrieve Patroclus's body. He places his body in the middle of a, like a kind of a circle. And then he, him and his soldiers come with their chariots and they ride round and round uh, Patroclus's body and they weep. And so much so, Homer says that the, that the breastplates and the ground were wet with tears as these warriors, the Myridons, and it's also man-slaying Achilles, is a very, very frightening character, that he weeps and, and keens out loud. And, and Achilles says this thing that's really interesting, or Homer says, he says, we shall have our fill of the pleasures of sorrow. And what he really does mean by that is this, we shall have this, you know, great grief catharsis, this unleashing of emotion. Probably the, the only other time when human beings are allowed to sort of utterly uh, unleash all of their emotions without abandon is in literally in sexual ecstasy, in a kind of orgasm. But in the keening, you're allowed to, in a sense, you're allowed to, to, to in a, you know, forget all holding back and just let all these emotions flow out of you. 
the power of it is, of course, is that you're doing that in a collective unity. I remember Kevin Toulis. That was a great episode to, I learned a lot actually about the Irish wake and keening and everything like that. So I was really happy to have him as a guest. So thank you, Kevin, for coming on. Our next guest is 109 that we're going to showcase, and it's Rebecca McDonald. And at all the dreams that were shared, this one actually sticks with me the most, and it always brings a tear to my eye. I don't know why, but it hits something in me, especially with what the grandfather says to her at the end of her dream. Enjoy. Uh, now, have you ever had a dream of your, your grandpa? Uh, yeah, I recently, just a few months ago, had my first dream, and me and my granda actually share a birthday. Um, so it was just four days before my 25th birthday that it, he came to visit me in my dream. So I just got married a few months prior to the dream, and I had recently received the wedding photos. And in the days leading up to the dream, I was thinking about which ones to send to Granda's wife, Betty, who also was not at the wedding. So in the dream, uh, Granda was alive and he looked the same as I remember him before he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Um, like whenever he had the Alzheimer's, his looks really changed and we received photos of him and it, it just didn't seem like it did, it, he wasn't the man that I remember him. So it was really nice when he came to my dream that he still looked the same way that I remembered him. I, I'm not sure exactly where we met in the dream just because we'd never he'd never came to Canada so the dream, it took place and I guess it was just like a room in somebody's home. Um, and I was just sitting there by myself and he walked into the room and he was just so casual. And he was like, I'm just here to look at your wedding album. Uh, so I went and grabbed it and brought it over to him. And he pulled out a pen and a piece of paper and started writing down which pictures he wanted copies of. So he told me that even though he wasn't at our wedding, it was still important to save the memories from that day. Um, and actually on our wedding day, Betty had wrote a brief letter from the two of them that was uh, to be read during the speeches. And that letter was really unexpected and caught me completely off guard and filled me with a lot of different emotions that day. So in the dream, uh, Granda was looking at the album and he came across a photo of me crying during the speeches and he asked me why I was crying. Uh, I told him about this letter that Betty had wrote and he joked around and he was like, oh, why would you go and do something like that? Make you cry on your wedding day. And I told him that the letter meant so much to me that it didn't matter how I looked. And then the next thing I remember, like I just was telling him like, I'll, I'll get these copies of these pictures printed and I'll bring them whenever I come to visit you in June. And in my dream, that didn't seem like a strange thing for me to say, but it wasn't until I actually woke up and realized that I was referring to uh, the trip that me and my husband have planned of going to Northern Ireland in June and actually visiting his grave. So back in the dream, so I told him that I was going to get these pictures printed. And then he, he smiled and he looked right in my eyes and he said, remember, even in sadness, there's beauty. And then I woke up and that's the last thing that I remember happening. And I was just so overwhelmed and just so happy because I had never experienced anything like it in my life. Like I just could not believe that he was there and I was able to see him and talk to him. It was just amazing. Wow, it's so powerful. That's so, wow. Just like hearing that and feeling it too. Like it wasn't like a short dream. It had a lot of substance to it. 
And I'm so happy you yeah. got your first dream. And what a beauty that was. Wow. I know, because I had met you a few months ago, or a few months before the dream, and I was saying, I'm just, I just wish that I had this dream, and you just kept telling me, like, just keep believing, it will come whenever it needs to come, and then I woke up that morning, and I was like, I'm so happy that this finally happened to me. Yeah, that was amazing, uplifting dream sequence, and yeah, tear came to my eye, for sure, as I was, uh, as we were doing that episode. Um, and again, we just want to highlight, actually, Rebecca, her business is Pet Memorial Jewelry, uh, which is really cool, really great stuff. And uh, the Instagram is Pet Memorial Jewelry, um, so you can check that out. So the next one is with Monica Mead from episode 111. And she talks about uh, some vision and f- visions that she had kind of, and dreams as well, and also talks about forgiveness. And if you... Definitely want to go back and listen to that episode. It was very powerful, very passionate, and uh, it's a tough one. Uh, definitely shed tears through that one, I remember. Um, and uh, I think overall, she's just a, an amazing person. Check it out. And forgiveness came. It came within 24 hours. I, and I, this is all credit to my girls, the forgiveness piece. Um, I was laying in my daughter's bed in Kiana's bed and just crying that night, the night of the 23rd, the morning of the 24th, Christmas, Christmas Eve. And Kyla and I were in that bed together and I was crying and crying and crying in Kiana's bed. And I saw Kiana standing in her closet. I always hesitate sharing this because I think people will think I'm crazy, but I saw her. It was clear she was wearing a blue shirt and jeans and she was standing in her closet with her head down and she had the most beautiful long dark hair and it was like falling in her face and her hand um, was holding her face like her face was in her hand and she just had her hand down and I just said Kiana I love you and she just stood there and not there was no she, I don't think she saw me. I saw her, but it was almost as if she was oblivious to everything except she just had her head in her hand, almost in a regret of like, what have I done? Mm-hmm. And at that same time that that happened, I heard a voice clear as day in my ear. It was so clear and so not loud, but just clear I understood every word and it said you have to forgive and everyone will follow and I sat there for a moment thinking am I going crazy what is happening and I woke up Kiana's dad um, him and his step him and his wife Kiana's stepmom had um, stayed in our home and I woke him up and I told him that I saw Kiana and that she wanted us to forgive and if we did that everyone would and I expected him to be like I'm not doing that that is out of the question anger anything but he didn't he said okay then that's what we do and I didn't expect a reaction from him like angry reaction because he's a bad person I expected that because he's human and that's what I probably would have done because the thought of forgiveness was just so far from my mind at that point. And so I 
we decided that we would just go forth with that, that that's what we would ask everybody else to do. And it just made sense. Kiana was just a very forgiving, loving person that, of course, that would be her last request. I just want to step in there. This story is, you know, it's it's so, so heartbreaking. You know, I'm just listening and listening and listening. And I can't imagine what that felt like you know like the bond you guys you guys had is is so so beautiful to with that love and then for it to be taken away in such a a horrific way where you're right forgiveness is almost the last thing someone could able to do and but i think this experience and what your daughter said about forgiveness i think this is a great moment when it comes to how difficult it is to forgive and it's you know like it's one thing to talk about forgiveness but it's another thing to actually do it and so i'm really curious like what was the forgiveness like because was it just like because you had those experiences you're able to do that or were there times as you move forward where you had to almost like check yourself that's a really good question because forgiveness is not a one-time deal Right? So it's an everyday conscious effort. I have to remind myself every single day that I chose to forgive. And that it's not the easier path, but it's the better path for me. It's the healthier path. Because when I let go of that hate and let go of that anger, I only allowed love in. And when I'm in the highest state of love and existing in the best way that I can, my daughter's close to me. I believe that. That's so beautifully said. And, you know, it bring, actually brings tears to my eyes uh, on how amazing that is and on what you just said. But when you facilitate the love in you, that's when you feel closest to, to your daughter. When you start to forgive, did it actually help everyone else to forgive too, as, as that voice said? You know what? That is the second part of the miracle because it did. She had so many friends and all of my family and um, her dad's family and her stepdad's family, all our friends, when we said that's what we were going to do, everyone followed along. And we were very, um, we were very careful not to speak to media because we were just hounded by media. They wanted, they wanted a story. Mm-hmm. And we agreed to not give them one. Um, this is when, in 2013, when gun control was kind of the height here in the United States. Um, at its height and so we were not going to do that we just decided we were not going to make her death or her life be a new story and so we did have a memorial um, for her friends and um, a balloon release at the same time and they all gathered and we did candlelight and at that point you know I just asked them all in Kiana's honor to practice forgiveness in their life and to do so remembering that that's what kiana would have done and that's a way that we can carry her memory on and to to continue her way by living that by living the path of forgiveness and love just thinking about you know obviously what you said and again like it's it's tough it's tough even hearing it i can't imagine living it being through those situations um, and, and going through all that but it seems like uh, you know maybe your faith has something to play with it but like you leaned on something different 
like you know as in society we kind of have these we expect certain reactions and no one would no one would wrong you for coming out and voicing anger voicing you know negative emotions and, and going through those type of feelings and that's almost what people would expect but you seem to have tapped into something or you know you got your signs and you you through your children as well like how amazing is it that your kids kind of right away were like you know we forgive our stepfather and through that guidance and through those you know that momentum you kind of you, you made that turn and i like how again i like how you and you and joshua kind of alluded to that it's not a it's not a, okay well I decide to forgive and this is how I feel and this is what's going to go on. It's a struggle like anything else in life, anything else worth striving for. And, you know, I just, just kudos to you for speaking about that. And again, like, you know, I say it again, but I say it all the time, but I'll say it again, like the courage, even to just tell this story. Uh, it's just incredible. Could you, you know, walk us through some of your dreams of your daughter and maybe what that meant to you? Sure, sure. So um, I, I've had like just, there. one of the things that I feel like needs to be noted on my dreams too is that when I see my daughter, she's always happy. She's always just like radiating happiness and joy and she's laughing and glowing and it's just amazing every time I've jumped of her it's always been the same and also in my dreams of her and my niece Olivia when when we communicate our mouths don't move I look at them and I understand what they're saying to me but their mouths never never move so I thought that was really um interesting because in other dreams that I'll dream of of different people you know when I'm talking to them their mouths move but in every single one I've had of both my daughter and my niece, their mouths don't move. I don't know if mine does when I'm talking to them, but I know that theirs don't. So that's just something that I thought was uh, really interesting and, and should be noted in my dreams. You know, I've had little short dreams of my daughter um, where she's just doing things, driving a car. I've had that a few times because she was two months shy of her 15th birthday. And in Colorado, you can get your learner's permit on the day you turn 15. So that was something, one of our last conversations also, was how she was going to be driving and and showing me how she would drive in the car. And so a couple of my dreams have featured her uh, driving. And so she's talking to me and I'm looking at her and she's laughing and we're just having those moments again together. Um, I've also, that one shows up a lot, like the driving or doing things. I've also dreamt of her um, interacting with little children. Uh, I dreamt of her reading books to all these little children were sitting in front of her. And I see her through a window, through like a glass window on a door. And I'm walking by a door and I see her and I stop and look in the room and she looks up at me and she's smiling and all these kids are sitting around and she's reading a book to them. And so a lot of the things that show up with my daughter specifically is with children, with little children, and um, doing teenage things, like driving a car or wanting to go over to a friend's house, or but always happiness, always, always love, always happiness. And um, my niece, the dreams that I've had of her, 
and I'll go back to the most notable one for my daughter after I do my niece, but my niece, the most notable was, um, we had gone to Arizona to be with my brother and his wife immediately following um, her death. And it was the morning that they were going to pick out um, an urn for her because she was also to be cremated. And that I dreamt that she came to me and said, Aunt Monica, I need you to tell my mom that I'm okay. And she'll believe you if you talk about a giraffe necklace. And she kept saying, it's a giraffe and it's, she'll know what you're talking about, but you have to tell her that I'm okay, that it's okay, that I'm okay. And she kept on just really reiterating to me that I needed to let her mom know. And her mom would believe that it was her coming to me by this giraffe necklace. And so I, when my brother and his wife got back that day from um, the mortuary, I, I said, I have to tell you guys something. I dreamt of Olivia last night and she's very adamant that you know that she knows about the giraffe necklace. And I, I'm describing it to him. I'm like, I don't know if it's a keychain or a necklace, but she's very adamant that you know what she's talking about. My sister-in-law said, when we picked out her urn, we picked out one of her necklaces that has a giraffe on it to drape around the urn as well. And so we figured that's probably the message she was getting to us. And I said, you know, she just wants you to know she's okay too. And I've, I've always kind of had these very descriptive dreams my entire life, as long as I can remember. And I've always thought it was odd that other people didn't remember their dreams or that they weren't prophetic in some way. And so it was never out of the ordinary for me to just really have these um, deep dreams or like intense dreams. Thank you, Monica, so much for opening up about what happened to you and your daughter. It's, uh, it takes a special person to, to be that vulnerable on air. So please check that out if you're interested about the whole story of what she did to and how she got to forgiveness. For this next episode, we have Jackie Pagobo, and she talks about a dream of her brother and also a dream she wants to have. So since we talked a lot about uh, the loss and stuff, let's get to uh, those dreams. <laughs> so um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. So what was like the first dream that you remember having of your brother? I remember him being young. We were probably in the Philippines at this time. We lived in the Philippines when we were younger and it was when we were probably like six. He was probably six and I was seven and a half maybe in the dream. And I remember him looking at me and just smiling like everything's going to be okay. And so when you woke up from that, like what you, would you feel? I, I felt more connected with him, um, that he was listening to me and he was still there. And that's one of like the beautiful things that I love about these dreams. It provides people that opportunity to, to feel that love, to feel supported and watched out for, um, if that's sort of their belief. And I think it's so interesting that he was so young, right? Like, because <laughs> mm-hmm. he died when he was 16. So like for him to be like six in the dream, I think that's probably when your relationship probably was built. You know, like when I think about my siblings, like I have three others. 
I do, I don't think about them as adults. I think about them like when we were children, we played all the time together. And maybe that's sort of like that bond you guys shared where you said like it was your best friend. So you play it all the time. And it's only when you get older, you find other friends that, you know, that you can spend less time with them, even though they're still significant. Yeah. And so did you have any other dreams after that? Um, I remember <laughs> there's one that I, I woke up from and I knew he was trying to tell me something. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. But I remember this one dream. I was in Merced, California in the Central Valley. And I had graduated from college at this point. Um, and I was still living there. I remember waking up uh, from this dream that my brother, my brother was trying to talk to me and he was his age at this point. 16 and he was just trying to talk to me and I was so confused when I woke up (laughs) he was really really trying to get a message to me but there was nothing coming out of his mouth and I was so confused I woke up confused and immediately my mom called me and she said something crazy happened to my dad and I instantly thought like ha That's what he was trying to tell me. (laughs) I think now there was a difference um, with my dreams after my my brother's case has been vindicated. I think that's when I started having dreams of his actual age. Wow, that's, yeah, that's an interesting, um, that's an interesting fact because it seems like, and and I'm sure it's like this with a lot of people, it's, it's when the circumstances aren't as clear aren't as um kind of uh when there's no closure like that i can imagine it being very difficult to move to to kind of continue on that grief journey um the way you want to again like you know after you've got your a a little bit of resolution around that it definitely uh, i could see it the way you're talking about it, it it changed for you and and uh that's interesting i mean Again, you know, what you went through, especially at that age, it's not easy. You know, really going through high school and having a lot of classmates die and and friends die. You know, it's you think it would be a time for you to, you know, have fun and enjoy life, you know, get along with a lot of other people and and learn and build on on yourself and what your life's going to be like. But here you are having to kind of face uh, all these multiple debts. And, and that's a real, it's a real kind of a pulling you into society almost sooner than you want to be. Yeah. So, I, I mean, just think, just hearing you talk about your journey, obviously, you know, there's a lot of courage and strength there because you, I wouldn't blame anybody for closing up, for, for wanting to, to not, uh, make those moves and not wanting to kind of continue on and push through those challenges. But even at a young age, you decided, you know what, I'm going to continue on and do it for my family, do it for my mom, you know, go to school. And then again, you know, this journey that you took to Canada, uh, that's no joke either. So yeah, there's a lot of strength there. And, and uh, again, like, you know, the vindication that you, that you talk about. I'm glad that you, you got that as not just for yourself, but for your family. And so I'm actually, so for our uh, 
our last question uh, as we wrap up the show. If you could have a dream tonight of your brother, what kind of dream would you want to have? Oh, that's a great question. I would want to see him as he would be today. Me and him singing together. Um, him playing the bass and having a band. I'd probably want to just do music together. And after that, go to Jollibee. It's a Filipino restaurant. He loves Jollibee. Oh, we just got one in Toronto, yeah. (laughs) You did? I haven't been there yet, but I'm excited to try it out. Yeah, he loves spaghetti from there. So I'd probably go to Jollibee with him and get spaghetti and the chicken joy. Uh, We used to fight about that when we were younger. I would want to go to McDonald's, but he would always want to go to Jollibee for the spaghetti. <laughs> that's really funny. Um, and so <laughs> that's really cool. You want to see him as he so he'd be 26 uh, in your dream. Mm-hmm. And so what would your, I'm guessing you're part of the band, right? Yes, I, I sing um, for my church. Okay, so you would sing for his, his group too? He did ask me. There you he go. Totally all right. <laughs> You're a part of this but band. You know what I told Beautiful. Him. <laughs> You're on stage. Um, so, what, what would that band name be for you guys? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I would say probably a Screamo Dreamo. <laughs> He really wanted me to like do that type of sound. And I told him, I can't. It's going to hurt my voice. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just thinking that. <laughs> you know, like have your lungs and, uh, raw. <laughs> and he was actually practicing like how, how to do that type of music. Mm-hmm. Um, he was <laughs> He was doing that to his voice. And I would just look at him with my mouth wide open saying, like, wow, you're really trying. trying. (laughs) Not that you're really good. You're just really trying. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty cool. I like that. No, that's amazing. And would it be in like a stadium? Would it be outside in a park or would it be on in your church? Like, what do you where do you see that the band playing? Oh, I would probably uh, at a park. Something not not. I don't think it would be super big, but just very, very small. And people people would be there that we care about, like just very close friends or family. Really cool stuff. Thank you, Jackie, for coming on and sharing uh, sharing your dreams and and the loss that you had. And again, it takes courage to do that. So we'd like to thank all our guests for that, uh, beautiful blessing that they've given us. Right, Josh. So the next guest we have on is Judy Hinderer. And what's really interesting about this dream sequence is that her father died when she was in womb. And so she never actually got to meet her father and her relationship with her father has only continued through dreams and that is how she built the relationship with them so check these dreams out i had been dreaming all the time i mean every morning i would wake up and 
I would say, Mom, I had this dream, you know, and she would, you know, sit and listen, and she loved to listen to them, and she just seemed fascinated by them. But, um, but you know, when I was about 13 was when I had that first dream, and I don't know if I had just been looking at a, at a bunch of pictures or, or what triggered it, but I was, I, was in a, I was in a forest, I was in a park, and I was on one side of like a bridge, you know, and there was, you know, these trees, and then on the other side of the bridge is my dad. And I don't even know the, the meaning behind it now, but it was, it was like me wanting to go forward, you know, and, but I was just hesitant, like, oh, I just, I can't, I can't do that, you know, like, I, I just, I can't, I'm not going to be able to make it. And he's just was like, you know, you, you can cross, you can cross the bridge. You can do it on your own. You, you can do this. And when he said that, I crossed the bridge dream was over and and then I I remember waking up and I've just I mean I was just like oh my gosh like that was my dad you know and I'm telling my mom no I was just dreaming about my dad and she's like what you know Um, because I had never said that before so so I mean I and I wanted to go back to sleep I wanted to go back there I wanted to see him I wanted to go back to this park with him but that was just amazing you know and uh I couldn't believe I mean I cried and my mom was really happy and I feel like my mom is the like besides you guys now I feel like my mom is like the one person that if I say this happened in my dream she believes every word that I tell her well that's so nice you're able to tell your mom and even open up that inside her of mm-hmm. understanding that and the joy probably of her realizing you, know, you had a chance to see your father finally and so what did you take that that bridge for? Because I think it's beautiful advice for him. And, and as a, I can only imagine as a daughter, like the one thing you're missing is that, you know, father advice. And he gave it to you and you succeeded. And like, it was a great story. Um, but like, so like, what would that bridge represent to you looking back? Looking back, I think that was, I think that was me just moving forward, losing some fear. I think I was always afraid to, I was always afraid to do things. I was always afraid that if I attempted something, I wasn't going to succeed at it or I wasn't capable of it. And I think it was sort of shedding, you know, like get, gaining some independence. Like you can do this. You're, you're now a junior high. There are all these kids here. You've got this. You can do this. So I feel like that was just a, a little part of me getting some independence, getting some confidence under my belt and um him solidifying that feeling that's so cool i'm actually i really love the dream because like you, you can do it like i always tell myself in different circumstances in life that have been difficult it's like you self-motivate yourself so like has that dream just like moving forward is it something that you refer back to when difficult times to say no i can do this yes yeah. yes absolutely when i look back at at, at a lot of these I can see where I, I used it to move forward, you know, like I'm just like, well, that's, that's right. I, I can do this. Yeah. And so that even sort of segues into the, the next one that I had, because it was just a, a couple of years later, I think that I'm 15, it's just high emotion, both me and my mom, because it's, it's just, it's mother, daughter, it's hormones, it's everything. And I think sometimes during that time, I was always very self-conscious. You know, because we're teenagers and we're self-conscious, and 
um, I would just sort of look at myself and, you know, think like, no, I'm not, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not this enough. And um, it must have been weighing on me in such a way that my dad showed up in a dream. And it was, um, it was a very odd dream. Um, because it was like I was in some sort of office, like in, I was in a waiting room, like waiting to, I don't know if I was, felt like I was at a doctor's office or a lawyer's office, but, you know, they're just, it's like I show up and they're just like, you know what, it's just, it's not time for you to be here yet. So it's, it's just not your time. And, and, and then there's a man in the back and he just starts yelling for me, but it was like, it was my dad and, you know, I can see him and he's just like, Hey, I love you. I see you all the time. You are so beautiful. You're, I just, I love you and just know that I see you all the time and that I'm with you, you know? And, and then the, when the dream ended, it was very odd. It was almost like a, like a television screen sort of fading, you know? And again, I woke up and I was just like, wow, I'm not alone when you're feeling alone. And that's, I really felt like I wasn't alone anymore. Wow, that's that's tremendous to get that type of uh, connection when you needed it. What's it like? What's it like hearing it and, and and obviously seeing it from your father as opposed to what what you were getting in terms of support from the outside? Because I imagine it's not the same. It just, it just means it, something different. It's not, and and those are things that I don't think I realized until I had children. And until I saw my husband with my children, like I was okay with not, you know, having a, a dad at events or things like that. But I don't think I really understood how important a father's role is until I could see my husband being a father to his children. And I think that's when I really started my grieving process, maybe a little more, was like, I missed those feelings. I missed that stuff. Um, and so, you know, when I was a teenager, yes, I had friends by then and, and, um, you know, I had my siblings, but again, when you're 15, you just feel like you can't talk to anybody about anything. And I didn't, I don't think I realized that I needed that bad moment in there at that time, Mm. but he did show up at that time. Yeah. And especially that age, right? Because like you said, you know, it's, it's kind of a time to naturally rebel naturally kind of um not really yeah kind of push away from those establishments and the people around you anyways as a teenager but you know here comes your father as kind of like an outside source almost like away from the realities of earth and Mm -hmm. i that seems like it would add it would just it would be a special thing like just very different from you know again like everybody around you and and maybe add a little something else and and another thing is did that add to your relationship with your father because now you've had you've had two impactful dreams i would imagine that that would kind of add to your connection yes yeah i think that after that second one like i like i knew like he's he is there there's something there there is he is close so i don't have to I don't have to feel alone. I know that my dad's just hanging out nearby, you know, and if I just need to say something like, if I just want to talk to him, I can do that. Like he's there, you know, it wasn't a fluke, but you know, the first dream, he was just thinking, well, I just saw some picture or something 
plenty of I have plenty of photographs but you're just thinking like that's never going to happen again and then it happens again and not soon it happened years later so yeah I really held on to that and it and it really made me feel much better Thank you, Judy, for sharing those dreams. And just uh, just to re- remind everybody, her episode is from 114. So Judy Hinderer, 114. Next, we have on Shivy Galtier, and she talks about some dreams that she's had. And Shivy is a fashion VIP consultant, so just check her out if you're interested in that uh, as a side note. Um, and again, her episode is 118. And so have you had like your own dreams of your mom since she's passed? Yeah, I've actually had a few, and they've been they've been completely different. Different, actually, but then saying there's been one similarity with most of the dreams has been the the most recent dreams I've had of her. Um, she's wearing white in them, wearing white, and she's a slightly younger version of herself, and she looks really happy just really really happy and the last dream I had of her she's hugging me and actually I had this dream a few nights ago so it's kind of I guess a bit more sort of vivid in my memory but she's I am walking through like an airport gate and she's waiting for me with my dad but I can't really sort of notice my dad as much I know he's there I just can't really see him but I really, look, I'm looking at my mum's face and she's probably about 10 or 20 years younger than, I would say, yeah, 20 years younger than maybe what, you know, when she passed. And she's wearing white. She looks very glamorous. <laughs> and she's got really, uh, like a, she's, I think she's got a blow dry actually. So <laughs> went all out and she's just really happy and she's hugging me and she's telling me how much she's mi- she's missed me and you know how it's been so long since we've seen each other but I woke up and I, I really that feeling of just like relief and comfort and happiness and love I just woke up feeling and almost not that I had forgotten you know not that I had forgotten what it's like to sort of be with my mum, but a little bit, I guess I'd kind of, I've, I've pushed it to the side a little bit and I really woke up remembering that. And, you know, I felt, I, you know, I felt quite sad because it was sort of, yeah, just a reminder. But I also felt like so much comfort with that as well. And yeah, I've had like, so yeah, numerous dreams I've had of her, my mum's wearing white and I, I, feel like that's symbolic in some way but I, I don't know how <laughs> did she ever wear um, white like was that like a common? yeah I mean she yeah no she definitely did I mean she loved she always wore sort of white linen shirts um and so in numerous uh dreams she's wearing something similar but then you know in again in the Indian tradition you wear white to funerals so red and like lots of color are usually the the colors you wear at weddings, unlike sort of you know Western dress, which is a white dress, and white you wear at funerals. But I think there's you know similarly with the Western culture, there's this idea of purity with with the symbolism of white. 
I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But there's some, there's almost something comforting about the fact that she's always wearing white in my dreams. So, yeah, it, it's, yeah, definitely, yeah, source of comfort. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see the details that stay the same and, and some that change. And even her being younger, I think, is really interesting because it is like something that is common. But some people, it's like the who they are when they've died. Like that's the age that they're always mm. at. And so it's nice how she's younger and healthier. So she's like the best version of herself in front of you. Exactly. Exactly. And that's like, I think, yeah, that's definitely also a theme is most of the dreams I have had of her, she is her younger self. And she's full of health and vitality and just energy and and happiness. And she just has this gorgeous, gorgeous smile. And that's like, I think, you know, that's the version of how I almost remember. And... Yeah, I'm just, yeah, and then there was, so that was sort of one of the, yeah, more recent dreams that I had. And that, I think the first dream I had of mum after she passed was really interesting. It was, we were in my, my, uh, my, old, my grandmother's old house. And I was in the corridor and my dad was in the living room, sort of, talking to people, entertaining. And I'm, I'm standing in the corridor looking at him and my mum starts walking past me wearing white again, holding a plate of roti. So like, but like, um, it's, it was a particular roti that I really liked, which is an Indian flatbread and it's stuffed with potatoes. <laughs> and it was delicious because you have it with lots of butter. Yeah, it's really bad for you, but really good. <laughs> And she's holding this plate, and I'm really—I'm obviously aware that she sh- she's, she shouldn't be there. Like she's she's gone, but I'm like, Mum, oh my God! And I'm looking at her, and she's look at she's her she's firstly she's saying she said, oh, I just want to feed you guys. Um, that's why she's carrying the roti she's like I just I she's like I need to feed you how are you going to eat and that what was funny about that is she would always say that to me I'm 32 okay so I can I can definitely feed myself but you know up until she she passed she would always feel so guilty that she couldn't cook for me and I was like you're I would say to her she's ridiculous because I'm more than capable of cooking you know I'm, I'm an all right cook but she just had this motherly guilt where she just felt like she should always be giving to me and my brother so there was a symbolism of that in the dream and then she was sort of fixated at my dad so she walks into the room in the dream and she goes to my dad and they talk or she does something for him it gives him the food and then she kind of steps out again and she's just then she just stands in the corridor just watching him through the door and what was interesting is no one else in the dream all the people that are in the living room can't see her it's just my dad that can see her and she yeah she just watches him and she's saying complaining to me she's like oh he spilt something on his shirt (laughs) and I don't know it was just it was a really bizarre dream but again provided me with some comfort in some way because I felt like it was a symbolic that she was sort of still watching over my dad 
and yeah that that was the yeah first dream i had after she passed wow that's uh it's a very interesting dream because you're right like mm. we don't really know sometimes what we need as as we're we move through the grief process but at that time there's probably something about worrying about your dad you know mm-hmm, what's mm-hmm. going to happen because you got to fly back sooner or later you know mm-hmm. and you know he's going to be you know with himself and almost like it, it definitely i don't know i could see it like it provides comfort and to know that he's he's not alone that your mother is still watching out for him but i think it's funny how like the, some of the comments she was making like she always spilled something on a shirt. Like I'm guessing, was your dad like that <laughs> yeah. guy that like things yeah. just always end up on a shirt? <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's dad. That's so He's funny. gonna hate me for saying that. <laughs> All right, thank you, Shivy, for coming on the podcast. We appreciate it so much. All right, for the next guest, we have Heather Stang from episode 119. And she is a meditation instructor. And of course, we put in a clip where we talk about meditation and her grief dream. And not get too lost in sort of the future. So I think it's it's really cool. I'm, I'm interested, since you have so much loss, have you had any dreams of any of those people? So what's funny is since, since I've talked to you, you know, I've been trying to think about this. And there's one I definitely remember of my grandmother. And it, it felt it felt like a visitation dream you know, felt like she was there and all I can remember from it because I didn't write it down. Now I want to be so much better about my dreams after, after learning more about what you all do. Um, But she was kind of standing in the doorway of what was like her house, but probably wasn't, you know, dreams are all ethereal and strange but it was, I think it reminded me of just all those summers where I'd go to her house and she'd call me back in for dinner. And it wasn't even that she said anything. It was just that felt sense of grandmotherly love, you know, of presence. And so I've, I've thought, you know, you'd ask me on our podcast if I'd, or after our podcast, if I'd had dreams. I believe I've had others. I do. I, at least I want to believe that I've had others that I've forgotten. And so my my mission now is to get a grief, a grief dream or get a dream journal and pay attention because remembering that one dream of my grandmother, who again, she died at 99 and a half, but for many, many years, she had vascular dementia. So her personality, the personality I knew had died many years before and for those of you who have you know lived with someone who has dementia it's a a really again surreal experience and so after she died having this woman who couldn't well she could communicate to me I, I definitely felt a lot of love from her even even the day she died like I felt like there was a moment of connection that that had been missing but having her back like as normal grandma cooking dinner instead of the woman who wasn't quite making a lot of sense that it sometimes struggled. It was a really, it was a lovely experience and I want more of those. Well, that's beautiful. And it's beautiful you're able to see her one more time mm-hmm. in her healthy form, which she used to be. And so <laughs> your last memory isn't one of her with dementia. It's, it's one of her basically standing and like watching you kind of thing. Yeah, you know, calling me and come eat some pot pie. <laughs> want some iced tea? 
was Southern. (laughs) (laughs) But it also, you know, thinking about that dream and thinking about that comfort that you get. I was was thinking about a meditation practice called Meta Meditation, which is a practice of compassion and loving kindness. And the idea in that is you bring the image of someone to your mind and you start usually with someone that fills you with the sense of unconditional love. So it might be a family member, but usually it's going to be a spiritual being or a pet or a mentor because, you know, those, those are people that are really close to us are the people we tend to lash out at too. Um, so someone that's like consistent love. And from what I've been taught, you're not supposed to use the image of someone who's died. And I think that's because uh, they don't want you to get upset during that. Like this, that's the first step of the practice and you're supposed to be just fooling yourself up with this joyous love. But I found that, you know, years after my grandmother died, and it was probably after that dream, although I don't know, um, I did start sneaking her in as my first, my first person, that touchstone of, of joy and love, because, yeah, you know, I had some beefs with her around how she related to my uncle's death about, she made up a story, she would just tell people he was robbed and shot, you know, she couldn't even speak his truth of his suffering but but all that's fallen away you know I don't hold that baggage anymore that was her protecting herself and keeping herself safe but that grandma energy just can fill me up with love and joy and so maybe it's almost like creating a waking dream in a way different in that with dreams you're not I guess in most cases, although you could probably speak better to this, you're not choosing necessarily, like, I'm going to dream about this right now. But in meditation, you could say, I'm going to bring her image to mind and fill myself with warmth. So there's maybe some parallels. You know, one is is less of a conscious choice and one is. But I, it'd be kind of neat to look at those two things side by side, dreams and meditation. Yeah, it's, uh, it is interesting. And I... There is a, I guess you probably could do it too. There's a technique where you can go back like a meditation. You go back into the dream. Mm -hmm. So you could go back into that dream that you had. And that in itself is going to bring the love. And then you can carry on that, that whatever that, uh, that dream would have been kind of thing. And that's just, yeah, it's just another way of doing it. Another way of Mm -hmm. sort of bringing them in. And because the dreams are such a, there could be such a beauty there that we remember. It's an easy way to sort of, find that feeling because times it's just so hard to figure out okay what is peace i'm so you know life is so chaotic like <laughs> the concept is so strange but these dreams can really provide a I think a gauge on like what it, what you can feel like in a peaceful state yeah i was talking to my husband last night about his grief dreams of his dog woody that um he has a really small family and you know for him too dogs have been kind of one of the really stable points in life and he was we were talking about a dream he had about woody he's a dog that died uh, i guess it's been about four years and and how you know just remembering the dream of woody laying like this big doberman pincher who loved to just lay on my husband's lap like a lap dog you know just going back to that dream i could tell you know looking at his face like there was joy even though we miss him terribly and it took a while to get there just remembering that you even had the dream seemed to have kind of a positive impact. Whereas I feel like before that dream, maybe talking about Woody was a little, 
um, tended a little more towards the sad, which is okay. I'm not pathologizing sad and grief by any means, but you know, I feel like now he felt like, yeah, I had a little more time. He said, I had a little more time with him. That's what it felt like. Thank you, Heather, for coming on the podcast. And again, that was from episode 119, Heather Stang. Uh, so next we have Dr. Pay Grant, and she is from Buffalo Hospice. It was a real joy to talk with her. And she, uh, we talked a lot about some Chinese culture stuff, which was really cool funeral rituals, uh, as well as dream dreams that she had. And that's from episode 121. And so when you... When your grandmothers did die, like how was that grief for you? And was there a specific Chinese ritual or anything that occurred because of it? We had a um, uh, both for both grandmothers. We had Buddhist Buddhist funerals, and so there were a lot of incense burning, offerings to ancestors, so that they would be able to pass through their you know spiritual journey with ease. Uh, so they were. Be, we would be burning um, paper that was supposed to be akin to money or gold, and those rituals would like help um, ease that transition from life to death. So we did a lot of that. There were a lot of prayers. There were monks uh, that were with us a lot, and so there was always gathering the family and praying. So that's how I remember a lot uh, for myself uh, in, in doing that. Some of the rituals I didn't quite understand. Uh, some of them I went along with it, but I just remember the overwhelming sadness that came with that. Um, my one grandmother, I was in California doing an experiment when I found out that she died, and that was hard. I wasn't, I wasn't with her. My other grandmother, I had just visited her, drove back to Buffalo, only to have my dad call me, and uh, I drove right away back, five hours back to Windsor, Ontario. Uh, to say goodbye, but I didn't make it in time. So I do have some regrets not saying goodbye because it was such a long trajectory that it wasn't clear when she was going to die. And so I wish I had final words. Um, So that was in January and my second grandmother died in February. So I chose to make sure that I spoke my last words to her, that I told her that I loved her. Yeah, that's that's difficult, you know, dealing with those losses and back to back, especially some some special like grandparents. It is. And with my family in Chinese culture, we tend to be stoic. And so we don't say I love you freely like some other cultures, you know, and and so feeling that loss of not having said that when they were alive made me uh freely say I love you now to my family all the time now because I don't want them to ever know that I you know that I never expressed it so I think that that those regrets have taught me to move past that protocol of being stoic and not saying that I love you things like that so I've learned from that yeah no I definitely I get that sentiment um my uh my grandmother she died in december uh actually sorry early january and she didn't um she didn't speak english that well so a part of me is always kind of regretting that i guess i didn't learn the language better or we just couldn't have uh kind of like an intimate conversation type thing like we would speak but like kind of um just basic stuff um so i now i I like to think that in her death that we can we can speak to each other and 
languages, no barrier. I was wondering, did the funeral rituals that you kind of went through, the Chinese funeral rituals, did didn't did, were those helpful to you um, and or your family? I believe that they were helpful in in um, in the grief because it gave us something to do, something that we could still do uh, despite uh, the physical death that we were assisting. Uh, her still in the spiritual realm. So I, I believe that that was something that was helpful for my for my family, that there was something concrete that you could do. You could pray, you can uh, kneel, you could burn incense, you could burn these, you know, different things uh, to help her out. So I think that that would, uh, that in and of itself helps people um, as part of um, the initial shock of grief, something tangible to, to, to work with. And also the continuing bond, too, that the relationship doesn't end with the physical death, that, uh, that there's still something connecting us all. So I think that uh, that is helpful um, for my family. Have you ever had a dream of either your grandmothers? I did. I had a grief dream of my maternal grandmother shortly after I started hospice. And I remember thinking, wow, this is the first time I had a grief dream. I uh, uh, had a grief dream. And, and I remember there were a lot of people just walking around. Uh, but I remember seeing her and just standing there exactly as I remembered her. Just every single detail of her. And she sat down at a bench uh, with me. There were a lot of stairs around it, but it was a park bench. And... She didn't say anything. She just held my hand. And that was enough for me. It was nice to see her again. Wow. So it's almost like a stoic way of saying I love you. Yes. Yes. And when I did tell her I loved her, she couldn't speak because she was so ill at that time, but she had tapped her chest. And I knew she understood me. So that was something that uh, that I keep with me and I hold with me dearly. That's beautiful. And it's beautiful to to hear about these stories and to hear about your own journey because I'm guessing you spend so much time with other people's loss and hearing their stories um, your own sometimes can get you know put in the backdrop I know it does for me a lot of people just you know like when they talk about the subject um, even on the podcast and stuff it's we, we're here for them um, but there's a part of me that you know always wants to sort of share or come out and, and talk more about my loss and so I'm glad I can hear more about yours because I think it's the first time I'm hearing about it so you know like what a beautiful I think relationship you have and also the lessons you've learned from the, the separate losses I'm glad you had such a, a beautiful dream I'm curious in in the dream thank you Pay, for coming on really appreciate it and just a reminder she actually does research with Dr. Kerr at Buffalo Hospice of end of life dreams and visions and so it's such a cool topic so if you like hearing about dreams that's a good space or a good episode to go back to to hear about dreams of those at end of life yeah it's been great uh this was really cool this was part one everybody so we are gonna have a second part second part of the recap of 2019 so 2019 was so great we need two parts <laughs> part one is done and now part two so once again, you can check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. You can donate, and there are perks to those who donate. Uh, if you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams group, and you can share your dreams or hear more dreams of others. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Grief Dreams, and 
again with love and gratitude from us to you. Introduce myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.